0: Hello, happy Easter. Welcome to the will Preach for Food podcast. I'm Doug, pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church based out of Shelton, Washington, a congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Faith is a welcoming community. We're growing closer to and more like Jesus. We're making Christ known. We're joyfully serving each other, our neighbors, and all God's creation. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. Thanks for listening today. So my question for you today is this. Have you ever seen Jesus? Have you ever encountered the risen Christ? The Bible tells us that Mary did, and so did Peter and John. Doubting Thomas saw Jesus. Cleopas and his wife met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And 15 years after that, Paul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And just last week, a dear friend shared with me a story of when she, as a little girl, saw Jesus. The sad thing about it was that she wasn't sure how I'd receive her testimony, as if seeing Jesus was weird or unusual or unbelievable. The fact is that in the Christian tradition, visions of Jesus aren't crazy at all. Throughout the history of the church, the risen Christ has made a habit of showing up, of revealing himself to his followers in a very real and personal way. That's what we're going to talk about today. By the time we're done, I hope that the idea of visions of Jesus is less weird. And I hope that you're freer to share your own stories and to listen to other people's stories. And that even if you've never seen or never do see a vision of Jesus, well, as the scripture says, blessed are those who have never seen and yet believe. As a framework for this conversation, I want to spend a few minutes looking at and talking about the book of Revelation don't get scared. Uh, the book of Revelation, it's maybe the most famous in the Bible for its visions of Jesus. And I think that's why it makes a good starting place for our conversation today. So grab your Bible and turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the first chapter, beginning with the, first, with the fourth verse. Did you find it yet? I'll wait. Okay. Now, we'll start from a reading, Revelation chapter one, beginning at verse four. Scripture says, John. it says from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let me break in here just a little bit. The first thing to notice is that if, if you read just that part, doesn't that sound a whole lot like the Bible? I mean, it sounds a lot and like the other letters in the Bible written by other apostles like Paul and Peter and James. It is, in fact, a pretty typical first century greeting. John says that he's the writer. He's offering a word of grace and peace in the name of Jesus. Again, very similar to how Paul and Peter do it in in their letters. Now, tradition has it that this is John, the beloved disciple, the brother of James, one of the original 12 followers of Jesus. John was there in Jerusalem when Jesus died and rose and appeared and ascended into heaven. He was there at Pentecost, and he and Peter were looked to as leaders of the early church. Acts chapter 1 through 4 talk about Peter and John this and John and Peter that. But at some point, the Holy Spirit must have prompted John to go on a mission, to take the gospel message elsewhere, to be a witness to the ends of the earth. So while Peter stayed local and the new guy Paul went to Greece, John, in his early 20s, went to Turkey, and he appears to have helped start churches in seven locations. We have three copies of, or we have copies of three letters that were written by somebody named John, first, second, and third John, in fact. At some point in time, he penned the gospel according to John, which is the fourth gospel in the Bible. John's personal account of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So this writing, Revelation, the full title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ, appears to be written in the context of some religious or political persecution. And that means it was probably written sometime around the time of Emperor Nero in in the 60s of the first century, or a nasty emperor named Domitian, who who was around 95 AD. Now, if it were during this later date, it would make John in his 80s when he wrote it, which would be unusual in that day and age, but certainly possible. It's also been suggested that John the Apostle and John the Elder, who wrote the three letters, and John of Patmos may be one or two or three different dudes who all share a common style of writing. We don't know for sure. I am confident the Holy Spirit could have chosen any of these ways to convey God's word then and now. So let's read a few more verses. Uh, now picking up in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Pastor John's letter to the seven churches continues. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty Now, again, let me just break in. John is following, again, a very familiar formula. This is how teachers and leaders wrote to their constituents. And like Paul and Peter and others do, he quotes an Old Testament prophet, Daniel, in this instance, connecting the ancient word of God with this new Christian gospel, Uh, even those who pierced him, uh, quoting uh, this Old Testament prophecy that alludes to Jesus' own hands and feet being pierced on the cross. And this Messiah has come, pierced hands on all, and all are going to witness and all are going to see it. He is risen, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And then as Old Testament prophets often did, John relays the very words of God to his readers. I am the Alpha and the Omega, God says, who was, who is, and who is to come. God is the Alpha and the Omega. That is, the, from God is everything from A to Z, the beginning and the end and everything in between. The Lord Jesus Christ is all that, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. Now, that's partly a political dig because those Roman emperors, Nero and Domitian and the others, they like to to give themselves really fancy designations like son of God and alpha and omega. So Pastor John is already reminding his readers that God alone is sovereign No emperor, pope, president, human leader, or political party can compare with God in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God, he writes, is so much more expansive and inclusive and generative than any human government or movement. God alone is the Alpha and the Omega. Now we move to verse 9. I get paid, by the way, to know how to pronounce these names. Anyway, Patmos, this is the name of a small island off the coast of Turkey. It's thought that that John might have been imprisoned there by the Romans. He might have been exiled there. Maybe he was just stranded there for a winter season, unable to secure passage back to Turkey. Maybe, I mean, church planting is often lonely work. Maybe he simply has no home, no other place to go. But on this day, on, on the Lord's day, he's engaged in worship and prayer. Lord, the Lord's day, already by this time, Sunday, the first day of the week, the eighth day of creation, it's already been adopted as the Christian holy day. So like others before him and after him, um, he's worshiping on the Lord's day. And in this moment, he's visited by Jesus. And Jesus tells him to write down some stuff and share it with these seven churches in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Theotira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, there's a popular, relatively recent interpretation of the book of Revelation that suggests that these aren't real congregations, that these are metaphors, representing somehow the history of the church from the time of John to the end times. That the book of Revelation is some sort of heavenly itinerary of what's going to happen in the future dispensationalism, it's called. Remember um, uh, Hal Lindsey and the late great planet Earth and that Left Behind series from a couple decades ago? That's dispensationalism. The problem with that is it sort of creates a belief that the revelation isn't just a book of the Bible, it's some kind of a code to break. It takes away from, from revelation being what it says it is. That is a revelation of Jesus Christ to John. I always think it's best to take the Bible at face value and to read Revelation and the rest of the Bible as what it says it is. And in this case, Revelation is a pastoral letter from a man to his congregation during a difficult season. Now, when we read it, we also shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves in the same boat of those early churches dealing with apathy, bad preaching, money issues, hypocrisy, moral failings. All right, at verse 12, the letter gets interesting. He writes, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead then he placed his right hand on me and said do not be afraid i am the first and the last i am the living one i was dead and now look I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. How do you describe a vision of Jesus? Someone once asked, how do you smell the color nine? It's the same almost impossibility. What language do you borrow? It's indescribable, uncontainable, immortal, invisible. It's a fish describing water. Think about it, somebody two thousand years ago trying to describe a cell phone, a, a submarine, or a Subaru. I think that whenever we try to describe the indescribable, we simply use words and images and language that's that's most familiar to us. And so, John, in trying to describe his vision, uses Old Testament imagery. Golden lampstands marked the, the wilderness tabernacle in Exodus a son of man with white hair. That's straight out of the prophet Daniel. And not only are these images that that make sense to John, they'd also make sense to the members of his congregations who would have been listening to him use those same images in countless sermons and Bible studies over the years. Through all the glory and glitter, John recognizes his Lord Jesus, the risen one, the living one, the first and the last, the alpha and omega, John feels Jesus' hand on his shoulder. John hears the words he heard in the upper room that first Easter evening. Don't be afraid, John. It's me. It's really me. And then Jesus again tells him to grab a pen and paper and write down what he's about to witness. What follows is a couple of chapters of practical and timeless encouragement and critique for each of those seven congregations. And then Revelation uses all sorts of Old Testament images and metaphors for describing this expansive and inclusive kingdom of God under the reign of Christ Jesus, the risen one. It describes the lengths to which God fights for the liberation and freedom of all people from the forces of oppression and sin and evil. It calls the church to faithfulness and patience and hope in the face of adversity The book of Revelation gives us some of the best of our worship music. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And Revelation ends the same way it begins, with a vision of Jesus. Skip ahead to Revelation chapter 21. Verse 5 says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said to me, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Well, with the scripture and the Holy Spirit to guide us, let me leave you with six concluding thoughts about visions. First of all, visions of Jesus aren't weird. From the first Easter to the present, Jesus seems like he likes to show up (laughs) There's a particular soft spot for children, the oppressed, for times when we're in crisis, when we're dying, when we're grieving. Jesus comes to comfort, encourage, to rescue, to heal. Sometimes Jesus shows up when we need a warning or a wake-up call. Visions of Jesus aren't weird. After all, Jesus is alive. He's loose in the neighborhood. You just never know when he'll show his face. Number two, visions happen, but they aren't guaranteed or required. That's the lesson of doubting Thomas in today's gospel story in John chapter 21, beginning at verse 24, uh, that week after the first Easter. Here's what the scripture says. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a week later, his disciples were with him, or his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord, and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Visions happen, but they aren't guaranteed or required. Um, Thomas, one of the 12 disciples, he, he wasn't there that first time that Jesus uh, appeared to the others and he didn't believe them. He thought that they were crazy. I think deep down he was afraid that maybe he had missed out. So when Jesus shows up again, this time Thomas is there and Thomas sees for himself, my Lord and my God, he proclaims. Jesus affirms Thomas and his belief. He also t- tells Thomas that followers and believers who don't happen to be there, <laughs> who don't happen to get a personal visit from Jesus, are no less blessed. They are just as loved, they are just as precious to Jesus. As the ones who do. Third thing, visions of Jesus are personal. Every time Jesus shows up, he does so in just the way and form we need and can receive at the time. My vision of Jesus is likely very different from your vision of Jesus. My vision of Jesus when I was five is very different from a vision of Jesus that I'm going to receive as I'm 55. Visions of Jesus are personal. How Jesus appears to Mary at the tomb, to Thomas in the upper room, to John on the island of Patmos, to a Ukrainian refugee in Poland, to a Guatemalan immigrant in Shelton. Visions of Jesus are unique and personal for each person. Number four, visions of Jesus are meant to be shared. Like John, like Paul, like Mary, like countless others in the scriptures and since then, visions are meant to be shared. Write it down, Jesus told John. Speak your truth. <laughs> Testify, bear witness. Make Christ known. We make Christ known in how we serve and love others, in our actions, and our attitudes, in our words in our welcome, in our worship. We make Christ known by sharing the gifts of the Spirit entrusted to us, and we make Christ known by telling our stories, speaking our truth. I have seen the Lord. Pastor, I saw Jesus. After all, Jesus is alive. He is faithful. Christ is here now. Look for him. Number five, be ready and eager to listen to the testimonies and stories of others. I' love to listen to the experiences of others. I find it fascinating and inspiring for my own faith. I sort of I sort of um, uh, get to witness Jesus vicariously through the stories and testimonies of others. So ask a person when you're ready, um, ask a person that you love and respect. If they have a story about an encounter with Jesus that they'd be willing to share with you. Then be open and humble, curious and respectful. Don't compare or judge your story with theirs or whatever. Remember, blessed are those who see and blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Finally, the sixth one, having said all that, just remember also that not every vision comes from God. Don't believe everything that you hear, right? Especially stuff on the internet or late night TV. There is a need for discernment of the spirits, for recognizing if what you're experiencing or being told is consistent with the testimony of scriptures, with the character and teaching of Christ himself. If you're not sure about a, a vision or, or an experience or a story that you hear, talk to your pastor or a trusted friend to work that stuff through. All right, so that's what I've got for you today. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Thanks, Chaz, for your weekly help with this podcast. Go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, for more resources about knowing Christ, making Christ known, getting connected with the people of faith. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, signing up for our weekly emails or liking us on Facebook, financial donations, subscribing to this podcast, that whole drill. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God's face shine on you and be gracious to you. May God look upon you with favor and give you peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.